I'm Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theatre Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, Milwaukee-based theatre writer and dramaturg. I'm Jen Apoff-Gray, Founder and Artistic Director of Forward Theatre Company. And this is Theatre Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theatre from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theatre in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 91 of Theater Forward. Yay! <laughs> For this episode, we are lucky to have two extraordinary art guests with us to talk about a topic that we've been wanting to engage with on this podcast for quite a while. And that is the state of our field for transgender and non-binary artists and stories. So I'm gonna introduce our two guests. Our first is Orion Risk, they, them, he, a member of Forward's Literary Committee. Orion is a PhD student in interdisciplinary theater studies and an MA student in gender and women's studies at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Their work explores discourses of care in gender, communication, and performance. Also joining us is Neil Mills, he, they, a professional scenic designer and art director who designed the sets for Forward's most recent production, Airness. Neil is an assistant professor of design in the Department of Theater and Drama at UW-Madison. He's also a proud transgender and queer man. Welcome, Orion and Neil. Thank you so much. So terrific. I'm looking forward to this conversation. And I thought we, I'd love us to just start out um, by asking you to each tell us about your stories as a theater artist. You know, what has your journey to now been like? Um, Orion, why don't we start with you? My journey to now. Okay. Um, <laughs> My relationship with theater started, I think, as it does for many people in high school, when I played Lady Bracknell in a production of The Importance of Being Earnest. Great play. Every 13-year-old should play that part. (laughs) Um, From there, right out of high school, I started working full-time with a small theater company that did a lot of ensemble-based work. I was acting. I was assistant stage managing. Eventually, I was assistant directing. Um, teaching movement principles to high school students, the whole gamut. And that was my life for seven years, working with that organization. Um, After that, I went to college for the first time, age 25, and Mm. an interdisciplinary degree, which really allowed me to explore what it means to be a human and what it means to perform in a really broad way, which was exactly what I needed at that point. Um, During that time, I also started discovering I was trans because I had lived in a world where that wasn't going to be possible for me to know. It just wasn't safe. So around age 27, 28, I started in therapy, really discussing that and coming to a lot of self-understanding. And I also started independently producing work and directing and telling stories in the ways I wanted to see them told with the people I wanted to tell them with, um, which is in some ways a comment about gender and in some ways not. It's mostly a comment about theater. After that, I started a master's degree at UW-Madison in interdisciplinary theater studies because I was really driven to keep asking this question of why do we tell stories and why do they matter? Um, And for me, a lot of that question has to do with gender um, because in many ways I see gender as a story. And I think it's really important to ask, what does it look like when that shows up in performance contexts, in theatrical contexts? um, And what does that look like for trans and non-binary people? So I worked with some really excellent undergraduate students at UW-Madison to do a virtual theater of trans, virtual festival of trans theater during the pandemic. Um, Neil was a huge part of supporting those students. <laughs> it would not have happened without Neil's support in that way. Um, and that 
was my gosh, it was the April, 2021 that we did that. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that work, I've also done my own performance work, um, kind of documentary style conversations about gender that then turned into a, a virtual play that went to some fringe festivals around the country. So my story is, is broad and deep, but that's kind of where it starts. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's fabulous. And Neil, I'm going to toss the same question over to you. Sure. Um, like a lot of us, I also started off as an actor. Um, I, In hindsight, it makes sense because I always got cast as the dudes in high school. And in hindsight, I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think my first part was uh, Laertes in um, uh, Tom Stoppard version of Hamlet. Um, mm-hmm. That was a blast. I had a sword fight. It was amazing. Um, <laughs> but that was kind of my first foray into theater. And I fell in love with it right away. Um, continued to act through high school, did a lot of technical theater behind the scenes as well. Um, went to college at the University of Denver, uh, declared a theater major right off the bat and uh, started auditioning. Um, I was getting kind of small parts, senior projects, independent projects, but never really making it through to the main stage. And um, what I love about DU is that they're a liberal arts program, so we had to take everything. Uh, the actors had to take design, the designers had to take acting, we, we took everything. Um, so one semester, I was re- scenic design was required. So I took set design and um, started to fall in love with it and also found that I kind of had a knack for it. So at that point, my professors were like, go this way, Neil. And so I decided to pursue it. I started designing kind of anything I could get my hands on within the university. Um, and towards the end of my time at DU, uh, my professors came to me and they were like, you should really consider grad school. And I was like, you guys are out of your minds. Um, mm-hmm. But I applied. And happened to get into Carnegie Mellon, um, and so that was that was kind of history. Um, I still, in hindsight, don't particularly know how I got into Carnegie Mellon, but um, it was amazing, <laughs> um, and I learned a ton after Carnegie. Um, I moved straight to New York without a job, New York City without a job. Um, <laughs> ended up having a really good career for five years freelancing as a scenic designer. Um, did. A, range of different productions from everything from little off Broadway to assisting near Broadway. Um, and then worked my way into the union and uh, started to do some TV and film. Uh, I was actually, uh, an, assi- uh, an art director on the today show for two years, uh, as a substitute, but I had fa- fairly regular, um, um, days there. Sorry. Um, I did a few episodes of late night with Seth, Seth Meyers. Um, mm-hmm. And then after about five years in New York, I decided that uh, the city was was kind of tough, um, wasn't super excited about living there anymore. And so I was like, where else do I go? So I moved to the other big entertainment city, which is, of course, L.A., um, again, without a job. Why that's a pattern for me, I'm not really sure, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> ended up landing a job with a company called Theme Space out in L.A. They're a, a, a themed entertainment company. Uh, worked with them for two years. We did everything from theme park attractions to pop-up exhibits, museum exhibits, kind of any interactive, immersive thing that you can think of. Um, teaching, however, has always been my goal. Um, and so I taught a little bit as an adjunct when I was in New York at Kane University in New Jersey. I uh, fell in love with that. And really, that has been the end goal for me for a long time. So I realized towards the end of my time in L.A. that it, it just was not the right fit for me. I learned a lot. I'm happy I did it, um, but I was ready to teach. So I uh, went through the application process. Um, UW-Madison <laughs> sent the offer, and I couldn't turn it down. So now I'm here in Madison and loving every minute of teaching. Um, in terms of my transgender journey, that's that's been a more recent process for me. I was so career-focused for so long that I kind of shoved it away and didn't really deal with it. Um, but 
in 2020, it came to a boiling point and I, I just couldn't ignore it anymore. So I came out um, and uh, that that kind of coincided with my start at UW. Um, and I am carrying that with me in a number of ways as I move through the university, both, um, you know, working with Orion on Trans Theater Fest, um, as well as bringing transgender theater into my research. That is ultimately one of my research goals is to pursue transgender theater uh, nationally, I hope. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Thank you, Neil. You know, this is um, uh, this is a conversation we are so lucky and happy to to be having and have wanted to have for a long time. Um, there are a million things that we, we, we could talk about, and I don't want to hold this whole podcast hostage with one of them, but topically in ways that are completely coincidental to us wanting to set this conversation up. We've just learned in the news that for the second time in two years, a trans non-binary uh, performer uh, this year, uh, Justin David Sullivan in Anne Juliet, who plays one of Juliet's really good friends, May, um, has said, I don't want to be considered for eligibility for the Tony Awards. Last year, it was Asia Kate Dillon, who played Malcolm in a production of Macbeth. You have a third um, non-binary trans performer, um, uh, Jay Harrison Key, who is uh, in some like it hot, considered a strong contender for the Tony there. And I said he is going to participate. He will be, if he's nominated, nominated uh, as, uh, as a male. And it just, you know, I, I guess I'd like your, your your thoughts on this. And I will, full disclosure, acknowledge that I'm a member of the Joseph Jefferson Awards Committee in Chicago. And I'm very proud of the fact, so I guess I'm showing my hand, that we were the first awards uh, ceremony in the country since followed by Helen Hayes and Barry Moores and now the Outer Critics Circle in New York this year to say that we're going to eliminate uh, gendered categories when considering actors. And honestly, with the amount of um, work I see with amazing um, um you know, non, non-binary non and trans performers in Chicago, it would be cruel in my mind to try and fit them into one of those categories. But here you have performers on both sides of the issue in New York struggling with this. So I, I don't want to presume to, 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 to know where the two of you would land. I guess I'm going to say a question, but I'm asking, you know, what, what, do you, what, do you, what, what are your thoughts on, uh, on this issue and how can we move forward um, in a way that acknowledges the, the logistical difficulties, but also allows people to express themselves freely as who they are? Ryan, you want to dive in? You want to? <laughs> <laughs> how can we fix a deeply ingrained thing that's been around for a very long time? Um, and you also sort of answered the question by asking it uh, because you mentioned a lot of groups that are making the choice yeah. to move forward. Mm -hmm. And from my perspective, that's the move. Individual groups making the choice to change how they do things. Um, that's one perspective. The other perspective is we need more playwrights consciously writing mm -hmm. with awareness of trans and non-binary people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Many of those should be trans and non-binary. Not all of them need to be, um, but we need more consciousness of that. Mm -hmm. um, and then thirdly, we need more consciousness that uh, just of gender on stage. I occasionally read plays that have cross-gender casting, but are not necessarily consciously aware of, of, of what might be being done with gender in that moment. Um, and that's that's a thing to be crucially aware of. So that's sort of my three approaches. But Neil, I know you have thoughts. I have many thoughts. Um, <laughs> and I, forgive me if I'm too blunt here, but like it, 
I mean, this is where I'm at. Frankly, it's it's 2023. There's no reason that we need to have gendered acting categories here, like, right. like period. Um, there's just no reason for it. Um, there are so many talented actors um, across the gender spectrum. There's no reason that we need to separate them, period. Um, so that's kind of my perspective. And, and Orion, I love what you said, too. Um, you know, as an educator, this is something that I really um, am loud about at this point is that, you know, representation is so important. And I know that we that's something that everyone says. But, you know, as a transgender guy myself, like, my God, I wish I had had someone that I could have looked to in entertainment growing up. It would have changed my whole world, truly. Um, would have saved me a lot of heartache, a lot of pain. Um, and as an educator, that's something that I'm really trying to push for in my classroom is representation. Um, and again, I know that everyone says that, but it is so important. It is so important. I knew representation thing. <laughs> Um, wow. <laughs> um, so my first four semesters in graduate school, I read so many plays. I read so much writing. None, none of it was trans people. Mm -mm. I, just we mm -mm. weren't there. No. At least not visibly. I don't want to presume what might have been there that I didn't see, but at mm -hmm. least not visibly. Right. Mm -hmm. An entire class on feminist theater. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we have Taylor Max here tossed in there, <laughs> which I'm thankful for. But I want so much more than that. Yep. Um, I asked one of my professors, where are the trans people in theater yeah. history? And she didn't know. <laughs> and it's, it's, that might seem distant from what do we do about awards categories, but all of these things are connected. The history of how our field has mm -hmm. operated globally mm -hmm. for a very long time absolutely shapes what seems natural and normal. Yeah. Yep. You know, if, if, if I can be my, my typical kind of Pollyanna self for a second, mm -hmm. I really have every expectation that in the next several years, for, first it'll, it'll be the Tonys first, mm -hmm. but then I even expect it to go to the level, you know, the Oscars, Hollywood and all of that. Like, I do think that we're going to see in the next handful of years, those things change. It feels like we're at a tipping point and it's always the bigger, more prominent um, entities that are slowest to change. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it feels like we're at a tipping point, you know, and, and you see you know, these brave principled stands like um, the one that Justin David Sullivan is taking that I, I, I sense is getting a lot of people to go, yeah, what are we doing here? Which is in no way to be critical of another, you know, trans artist decision to be like, no, nominate me for an award because yep. that too gets you that representation. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that is equally important in my completely, um, uh, you know, cisgendered, I have less weight to my opinion, mind um, on this topic. But it, I do, I, you know, with the Jeffs, and then as you said, Michael, you know, other organizations have followed that lead. And, and I really, I really do think we're going to see it. And as you, to your point, Neil, not nearly soon enough. It's no. 2023. It should have happened already. Yeah. Um, so it's not saying that there's not shame attached to how long it's taking, but I, I kind of do think it's coming soon. I mean, do you disagree? I, I, I honestly, do, do any of you think differently on that or do you sense going in that direction too? I don't know, Julie or Mike. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, on the other hand, and this was kind of disheartening to me, although I saw good things that came out of it. You know, the Jonathan Larson estate refused to grant permission to change pronouns in the Boho Productions Tick, Tick, Boom for a production mm -hmm. of Larson's mm -hmm. Musical, which is the first all trans 
production of that musical oh. ever, which I saw and I'm so privileged and feel so grateful um, that I got to see. So on the other hand, and this is true with Shakespeare as well, watching these glorious trans performers on stage using the pronouns that were originally written scrambles your brain. And so I, I kind of wish the Larson estate had given the creatives in charge the, the responsibility and the right to make that decision for themselves. But I appreciated being challenged in ways that were different, not necessarily better or worse mm -hmm. than I would have been if the pronouns had matched the, uh, the people who were who were performing. But anyway, that's a sign of something where I think you're still seeing, as with the Tonys, uh, yes, movement in the right direction, but uh, uh, still, it's just it, a reluctance. Uh, uh, it's mm -hmm. hard, it feels like, for, for people to get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is so Can frustrating. I, oh, sorry, oh, Julie. No, I, I just wanted to go back to something that, Orion, you said, and, and we're talking about, you know, going to the future and awards and, you know, what does this look like? And you said, you know, you'd like to see more plays that feature transgender, non-binary people. Well, we're on the literary committee together, Orion. We read five plays a month. And have we seen any? And are we missing them or are they not being written? And if they're not being written, how? what do we do to get them to be written? Another small question. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what we do here on this podcast. Just let I you know. know. <laughs> they are being written. But I, from our perspective on the literary committee, just because a play is written doesn't mean it ought to be produced or that it should be produced by a given theater in a given place and time. Um, sometimes, I, again, as someone who's written plays myself, some plays are just not good. <laughs> and just, Regardless. <laughs> you know, right. What we're asking for is well-crafted plays ready for a strong production by a strong company in front of an audience. And that takes time. And, and I know that this podcast has talked before about you know, the development process and the weak points in our field in terms of supporting that. Um, but that's one of the things, right? We need intentional development of trans plays. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Without it, we'll continue to be in literary committee meetings and they won't probably show up. That being said, I'm confident also that there are some incredible plays that we haven't read. Because also, what's the pipeline that gets things to our committee, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if they're not getting that first read at that theater somewhere, they, they might never get to us. So th there's multiple points on this. You've both been bringing up um, already some, some great uh, things that were going to be answers to the question I haven't asked yet, which was about, you know, what do you... What do you want? What do you need? And this is, I'm asking you personally, because you do not need to represent all trans and non-binary artists in our field. But for the two of you coming from perspectives as academics, as designers, as directors, as playwrights, what, do you, what are you looking for and, and wanting to see from the field? And we've heard better development and support for transgender and non-binary playwrights so that we can get more roles written you know, um, better representation on stage, acknowledgement, you know, throughout the field, whether it's from awards or, or, or others. But are there, are there other things that, that you haven't touched on that you want to in terms of what you want and need? Absolutely. I mean, I'll dive in. Um, you know, I think I have a little bit of a unique perspective as a technician or as, as, as a designer. I think 
we talk often about representation um, on stage, right? The actors and the director are very much the um, visual face of any theater production, right? But um, there, we all know that there's so many people behind the scenes uh, in the business office, all the way up the food chain that that make theater possible. And I think diverse perspectives in design, in direction, in, in your lighting technician, right? I think there is no corner of theater that should not be accessible to a transgender, non-binary uh, population. Um, so especially designers. I mean, I, I really mean everyone, but it should be every corner. So I guess that's the first thing that I am looking for. Um, I also just fundamentally think that we're honestly not asking for that much. You know what I mean? Like th this pains me to say that. I just think a little bit of representation would go such a long way, such a long way. We're really just not asking for that much here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think I just want to be accepted in my field um, as an artist, as a human. I think that's what any of us want. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially for the theater that has such a long history of being seen, and I'm mm -hmm. not saying deserved, but being seen as uh, a community that is extremely uh, welcoming of, I, I don't want to say LGBTQ because it's really, it's really about gay, gay and lesbian artists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and again, there's examples of uh, that reputation being perhaps overstated, but I, I, I think compared to many other fields, ours is, has, has some real, you know, traction of being a, a more welcoming profession, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that does not seem to, to have carried over in the same generosity of, and openness of, and humanness to trans and non-binary artists. And how, how do we fix that? And, and what, what is that rooted in? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a problem. Um, I, you know, I, like a lot of us, I think I found myself in theater, right? I found a home, I found a community, I found family. I felt like I finally fit in somewhere. Um, but coming out as transgender just a few years ago, I am still finding some barriers there that I wasn't quite expecting. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it reminds me a little bit of, um, the, the analogy is not exact, but this is me trying to piggyback on Jen's optimism. I remember, you know, when when Sarah Shulman, you know, brilliant lesbian theorist and playwright wrote Stage Struck 20 years ago, interestingly about Jonathan Larson and how he stole rent from her, which he did. Uh, she she talked then about how there was zero opportunity for lesbian playwrights to get any kind of main stage attention um, compared to uh, male gay playwrights. And to a certain extent, I think she's she's still right. But you see an upward trend or trajectory there. And I'm not, certainly not trying to compare the world of lesbian plays to the world of trans and non-binary plays. But I think that the same sort of patterns of openness and also much more um, openness among the lesbian community than, than sometimes the gay male gay community to trans and non-gender issues. I'm hoping that you see that similar kind of trend moving forward. I do think this production I mentioned in Chicago uh, is a step in the, in the right direction. And the fact that American theater, um, bless them, you know, did a real, really good job covering it, um, did a really good job a few years ago with Regina Victor's article interviewing different Chicago artists, talking about the things that trans and non-binary uh, performers and creatives need. Even that wasn't here 10 years ago. And again, easy for me, like Jen, you know, cisgender uh, 
uh, male um, to be optimistic when I'm not struggling with the things that the two of you not, are struggling with. But I, I, I want to feel good about that, I guess. Maybe I'm maybe I am being too optimistic. Whether or not it's correct, I generally choose optimism because it works better for me. <laughs> I have plenty of things I can focus on that are struggles and difficulties, but I find it more motivating um, to look at the hope while being real about the hard things. Jen, you asked about what needs to change, and I'll give you my pie-in-the-sky version. Um, we are working from play scripts. And play scripts with even the barest casting descriptions, many of them have a gender breakdown right mm -hmm. away. Right. Not all of them, most of them, I feel mm -hmm. safe saying. I would dream for really expansive, flexible casting when it comes to gender. And I'm not just talking about trans and non-binary people, but to really see gender and casting as part of the way we can interpret a script. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where we get into what does the playwright say? What does the director say in terms of how a piece gets made? Um, and that is a whole other conversation that you've also had on this podcast. But from my point of view, I think there is so much that could be open in terms of storytelling, in terms of representation, in terms of who is on stage, in terms of what we can do with a play. Um, if gender is one of the things we can use in that palette of casting and storytelling. Well, and I love that because I think there's a... Um, there's a pathway, right, to, to get there. And we're, you know, we've seen it over the last, I would say, 10 years or so, more and more conscientiously applied by contemporary playwrights, writing into their cast breakdowns, purposeful language about casting when it comes to issues of race mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and encouraging an expansive look at casting when it comes to race. And, you know, more and more and more playwrights hopped onto that reading a lot of new scripts. I read a lot of cast breakdowns and I've seen it more and more and more and more. And I, I think we will again, op optimism, but, but I've, I'm already starting to see scripts, not enough that have similar language when it comes to gender in their cast breakdowns. So in terms of new, so there's, there's two different ways to approach it. One is the new plays being written and our playwrights explicitly articulating that kind of creative permission to producers and directors to, to approach their casting decisions more openly. And, and, you know, and they can be also specific and say for this role, it needs to be this, but for this role, be flexible, be open, be creative. And then you have, as, as you know, we were talking about with Jonathan Larson's estate, then there's the, the estates that hold on to older plays and whether they are going to be open or not. And we've seen, some yes and some very much no to to a you know sort of head scratchingly um difficult to understand uh rigidity um but i do wonder whether as, as so many civil civil rights developments in this country at in in every field and every aspect of society you know they tend to go in looking at sort of one um section of our our community and then it's a model that expands rights and opportunities for others. And I, I do think we've seen a lot of work and it's, and it's too slow and it's piecemeal and all of that. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it also, you know, you, I, there's been so much discussion of broadening what we do from a casting level um, on, on the issue of race. And I, I, I hope that gender will be hard on its heels. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And we can work on it. We can ask as producers and directors, we can ask for it too. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And the that's we, getting at And it. we start it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We and demand, moment, we demand these stories. Where are these stories? Bring mm-hmm. us those stories. Mm-hmm. And, and the more we can break out of this rigid box, here are the mm-hmm. men's roles, here are women's roles, mm-hmm. right. the mm-hmm. more opportunity that creates for every artist. Yeah. Right. That's a, that's good for our field as a whole. Mm-hmm. I would argue. I do say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Again, please go ahead. Go oh ahead. no! I mean, again, twenty twenty three. There's just no reason these barriers should be there, right? And I mean, it race, gender. It doesn't matter who plays the part, right? It, I mean, it influences the story, of course, but there's no reason that that playwrights or estates should be that rigid about their right. rules about who is playing the parts in their play. There's right. just no reason for it. I always want to, you know, tell the ghost of Edward Albee, your play is going to be fine. <laughs> It's not going to explode. Nothing's going to happen to your text. Like. Right. right. Every place had bad productions. Right. Every ever, you know, has had productions that didn't work. And the casting is not always the reason. Right. Um, yeah. So here's, here's another question. Maybe this is the one um, that we'll, we'll spend a little time on before we wrap up, but are there, are there successes in the field? Are there things that you've seen happen that you want more of that you want to call out so that we can pay attention to them and emulate them and replicate them? I mean, I want to start by shouting out Orion because uh, Trans Theater Fest two years ago was amazing. Um, It was virtual. Um, I think we had a pretty wide audience because of that, but that is the kind of work that I think we really need to focus on. Um, I think companies that are either trans-specific or have trans-specific plays in their season, I think that is so important. Um, I also want to shout out, um, I'm actually involved with the USITT uh, Gateway Program for the first time this year, and they make an effort to connect professionals with um, students of various um, backgrounds and pair them up in an effort to help them break into the field, right? So I think being proactive about our pipeline is really important, specifically, I mean, actors certainly, but I think it's really important to reach out to um, gender minorities, racial minorities in in the design technician pipeline as well. So the USITT Gateway Program is doing a really good job at that. Um, I'm actually paired with a student uh, this year. I'm super excited about that. But I, I think we really need to be proactive. We need to go after those students and let them know that there is a place for them in American theater. Um, because if we don't open that door for them, they're not even going to know it's there. Yeah. Active mentorship. Active mentorship. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Neil, you're making me think about just the whole conversation our field has been having for the mm-hmm. last two years mm-hmm. about who gets in in the first place, yep. who has those opportunities and any of those reforms that people are instituting that will benefit those trans and binary artists as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's valuable. It's really important. Um, in terms of other shout outs, uh, national queer theater does some great stuff. Mm-hmm. Incredible, really trans focused programming. Um, that's the end of my list. <laughs> can I, can I right. take you back on something, right. Jen, uh, something Jen asked by asking, and maybe there won't be anything on the list that you, 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 you want to share, but is there a moment, I'm not asking for best of, I'm not going to put you on the spot in that way, but is there a, 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 a script or a performance or a play that was transformative for 
for, for you. So again, making it personal so you don't have to get into the sort of I'm naming this and not naming the others kind of thing that really was special for you and bringing you forward. Because I want to I want to feel optimistic, too. And I also guarantee you that whatever you name is something I'm going to get my hot little hands on as soon as we're done here. <laughs> All right. I'm sure you've got a list. <laughs> You'd think I would, but I think about it. So if you have something, Neil, please go ahead. Well, I mean, this is not, I don't have a specific play or specific specific performance. Um, there's kind of two things that are very personal to me that pop into my head. One, um, Elliot Page coming out, I think, was so pivotal for the entertainment in industry, especially for representation of transmasculine individuals. Um, you know, I... I had not seen anyone like me before in the world. Um, that's not true. I, and I'll speak to that in a second, my second piece of this. But Elliot Page bringing national global attention to transmasculine individuals, I think when historically, and I hope it's okay that I say this, I feel like historically the focus has been on uh, transgender women. Um, I think transgender men are particularly underrepresented in, in the trans community. Um, so Elliot Page coming out broke me, absolutely broke me. Um, I, I think I bawled my eyes out the day that I read that article and I have his, his time magazine framed because that's how important it is to me. Um, so that was a really pivotal moment that I can point to in the past few years. Um, the other thing that I want to shout out is, um, and this is oddly specific to me. So I, forgive me for the narrow perhaps focus here, but, um, I had an opportunity at Carnegie Mellon in grad school, um, to perform with, um, a buddy, Britton Mock, who's a brilliant, uh, set designer out of uh, Pittsburgh, one of my classmates uh, at Carnegie. Um, and he was performing drag. And so he brought <laughs> his drag performance into Playground, which is our, our festival of new work. And um, for some reason, I had an impulse and I was like, I guess I'm going to go for it and try and perform. And that was such a pivotal moment for me because I was like, oh, this feels right. Like, so I think giving students the opportunity to explore um, gender roles, you know, and I was a set designer at that point. I had no reason to be on stage performing drag, but something clicked and I was like, oh, I think this is who I am. Um, I think providing those opportunities to students, whether it's performing on stage or at least being exposed to those things, I, I think is so pivotal. Yeah. It was called the Carnegie Mellon School of Drag Kings and it was phenomenal. So Britton Hawk, <laughs> you're my hero. <laughs> Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Ryan, I want to give you a chance, and it's okay if you don't have something that's coming to mind, but I want to give you the chance if there is. Listening to Neil help. <laughs> uh, because I, I heard in what you were saying, I was like, I recognize that feeling. Yeah. You talked about with Elliot Page, I had a, a photo of him on my desktop for a while, might even still be there. Uh, just because there was a, a piece of me that was like it magnetically processing that this human exists mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um so, so there's something there to that and so i do have a brief personal moment to share um this is before i was really even thinking of myself as trans i was in a crisis moment in my life where all plans had fallen apart and i was staying in someone's basement and i was listening to the fun home soundtrack mm -hmm. Um, and I just cried my eyes out to ring of keys about three or four times through just hearing that moment of recognition because I was at a place where I was having those moments. I didn't even know how to understand them. Um, I was working at a gift shop 
And I guess I was just oozing misery into the space around me. But a lovely person came up to me and said, we're from San Francisco. Um, you could come here and people would like you. Mm. <laughs> and that moment, again, recognition, being seen, was a very similar feeling to listening to Ring of Keys. Mm -hmm. To saying there is something there that is very familiar, and I don't know why. And that's an incredibly valuable thing to give to people. Um, and, and so for me, it, it's a song about a young girl who's going to grow up to be a Bush lesbian. And that's not my story. But that feeling and that longing and that sense of, holy crap, there's something about you, about that way of being in the world that resonates with me in a way I wasn't even prepared to feel that feeling. That is something theater can give people. Um, and stories can give people. And thank goodness it can, because I, I don't know a lot of other ways to get it sometimes. We'll talk about a gift. Um, both of those those yeah. stories were a gift for us. Um, looking at all the faces on the screen uh, and how um, moving and beautiful that was, I I I just want to thank both of you for the gift of this conversation. This is a toe in the water of the of a conversation about our field and our our need to grow and expand and better represent. But I'm so glad that we at least got a start to the conversation it is certainly one we will come back to again in the future but um but i i want to leave it there on that that beautiful note and that reminder of what theater can do because that's why we're all doing this right um so so thank you thank you neil and orion for for joining us thank you everybody who is listening to this conversation we'll say that that is it for this episode of theater forward a conversation about theater in wisconsin the Midwest and America. I'm Jenna Puff Gray. I'm Julie Swenson. And I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast is produced by Scott Hayden, and you can follow us or share your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter at Theater Forward, theater as always, spelled with an E-R. And if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe. And if you don't leave a comment on this podcast, you've missed your chance. Please, we would love to hear from you. We are so grateful to have you listening. And we will be back soon for another Theater Forward conversation.